and welcome to The Farm, a podcast dedicated to culture, parapolitics, and high weirdness in all its many forms. This is yours, Recluse, aka Steven Snyder, the longtime curator of the Visit Blog and author of a special relationship, Trump, Epstein, and the Secret History of the Anglo-American Establishment. If you like what you hear here today, be sure to check me out at visitview.blogspot.com. That's V-I-S-U-P-V-I-E-W, all one word, dot blogspot, also all one word, dot com. And procure a copy of that book, Amount of Works, at the Farm's official store, which is at eFarmPodcast. That is eFarmPodcast, all one word, dot store. And please consider signing up for the Farm's Patreon. At the lowest tier, you get two additional full-length shows per month. That's between three and four hours of bonus material with exclusive guests and content. And our all-access patrons have access to the farm's monthly Zoom party meeting, my State of the Union addresses, periodic write-ups, dispatches from all the adventures I have, insights into the research that's ongoing over here, and all kinds of other goodies. It's a lot of material, guys, so definitely give that a consideration here. All right. This is definitely going to be an interesting show today. It is the maiden journey on the farm here for two agents of the listening post alpha uh one is from the king sport division i don't know if the scottish branch yet has one aberdeen 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 okay the aberdeen division even better i absolutely love aberdeen and uh not today but most recently i've been listening quite a bit to uh the child bouncer Patrick spins which i believe aberdeen plays a role in at the beginning so quite lovely there so anyway, on that note, we've got Agent Bobby Hale, uh, who is Agent Let One 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 One, or actually just three ones, excuse me, and Stephen Ray, alias Agent Two Two Two. All right, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining me here. Thanks for inviting us. All right, thank you also for joining us here, Bobby. Thank you. All right, this is going to be a great show. I apologize in advance if I'm not slightly more prepared for this uh, time of the recording. I'm still in the midst of having lost power for uh, several days now. So, yeah, I've been rugging it out in uh, isolated West Virginia, but I have made the trek back to Bob's place to record uh, this very special show. But, frankly, it seems kind of fitting when I'm working with a group related to the Temple of Babylon Chronosome. Oh, yeah, we're going to be using the uh, stuff that they've been doing as a launching point here. They chronicle some of this in their most recent work, the aptly titled listing book, Alpha Journal, Gear One. It's ambitious, I'll say that. I actually got a copy of my car, which I cannot wait to start getting into. Combining such elements as the spirit box, the ADW cipher system, and especially David Lynch's Twin Peaks, they've developed one of the most timely magical systems currently in play. There's a little bit of a cybernetic cultural research unit in there, some chaos magic, a little hellier, and the fulfilled dick. But in the end, it's something new for the times we currently struggle with. We're going to cover all of these subjects along with the reality shifting, the American earthworks, and a lot of other weird shit. It'll be something to behold. So, let's start the show.
start off with, let's talk some channeled communications. In the 20th century, there were some exciting developments made in channeling using modern technology such as radio and ladder television. You guys use the spirit box, which combined, which is used as a combination of FM and AM radio. I know uh, people who have seen failure uh, are probably well familiar with this device or a lot of the other paranormal themed shows, but for the uninitiated, can you tell us a bit about it and its origin story? Yeah. Um, well, starting with Thomas Edison in 1920, um, he told the American magazine, I've been at work for some time building an apparatus to see if it is possible for personalities which have left this earth to communicate with us. Um, he went so far in trying to develop this thing that people started to make fun of him. They'd be like, oh, Tommy's over there working on his spirit phone, you know. <laughs> and um, then later you had... Uh, spiritualists like Constantine Rodiv who started talking to spirits through radio static or at least that's what he claimed um, so this idea has been around since pretty much the advent of the radio that you could somehow that somehow the uh, radio waves were enchanted or that you could speak to the others on the you know somehow through the radio the radio static um, and flash forward to the 1990s, early 2000s, um, the prototype of what we know as the spirit box today comes from a radio hack and popular mechanics. Um, it alters the radio scanning mechanism so that the channels with empty static and lower frequencies are included in the automatic scan. So like if you're scanning in your car, it just picks up like the main radio stations where you're actually gonna hear like a, a broadcast. Um, not so with this radio. Um, and as far as we know, Frank Sumption was the first to use it for the purpose of speaking to spirits, but um, he claimed that the popular mechanics hack actually didn't work for him at first. And uh, it was Constantine Rodive on the astral plane who helped him finish his prototype. Uh, he became pretty obsessed with the idea of EVP after the death of his son. That's how he discovered this, this hack. Um, he claimed to have some success speaking to his son and he would have regular sessions speaking to his son, but eventually, you know, he, uh, he moved on. It helped him heal. So there was some psychological purpose to that, some healing purpose to that work. And, um, but then after he finished, he was finished talking to his son on the astral, he started talking to, some more uh, eldritch beings or some uh, what we might call ultra terrestrial beings uh, who termed him the purple princess. And he started doing some cross <laughs> and wearing uh, big like uh, loopy earrings and stuff like that, you know, and he would do uh, presentations and conferences. Um, he was very adamant about not asking questions during the sessions. That's what's different. You know, you see today um, with the, uh, the Estes method and stuff like that. They, there's an emphasis on asking questions and Frank was very much against that. Um, my theoretical approach is rooted in the cut up method. 
the proposition by William S. Burroughs that when you cut into the present, the future leaks through. So that's how I approach it. I don't try to edit out things that um, aren't expressly mysterious, you know, so like, whereas someone like Rodive listened for something to kind of come out of the static, like, uh, which is more like black mirror scrying or something psychologically. Um, I am actually going for what is coming out of real time broadcast or what I hear and interpret coming through real time broadcast. Yeah. Before I uh, had actually ever used the spirit box, I imagined that out of the static uh, disembodied voice uh, would give you, you know, like long paragraphs. And when I, I first uh, tried the spirit box it was like hold on this is just a jumble of words but of course that's exactly what you want it's the the randomness again another William uh, Spurrow's idea and um, I'd previously had experience very early in my magical career of channeling just in a kind of meditative trance but I got really frustrated with it because I was basically told I, w I wanted new information and it was just telling me what was already kind of in my, you know, I don't think there was ever an entity there. I think it was just I was in a deep enough trance that I, I could produce sort of screeds of of, of uh, words. But you, you were accessing like a different part of your subconscious almost. Yeah, yeah. But I think with the external random um, words, well, possibly not random because, you know, we tune in for the purpose of getting a transmission. But I think that exterior, uh, something coming from outside yourself expands the, the horizons of channeling greatly. Fascinating. And yeah, I mean, definitely the whole history of the spirit box is in and of itself quite a topic there. Um, but yeah, I do love the how they've sort of brought up theurgy into the modern era through some of these methods. Um, I also found the whole thing with um, video static uh, televisions to be quite fascinating as well. And yeah. Had, um, what was it about the temple of the psychic youth and so forth? So, yeah, there's a lot of good stuff with all of that. Um, now, one thing you guys had a really unique take on was backward masking. Can you get into that a bit, please? Um, yeah, this is connected to Alistair Crowley's Class B document, Lieber Tesherib, I think I'm saying that right. It's uh, backwards for Bereshit, which is the first uh, first utterance in the Old Testament, and uh, it means in the beginning. Um, so it's the Lieber is numbered 913, um, CMXIII is the uh, Roman numerals by the uh, ALW cipher CMXIII equals 125, which equals Garmon Bosia and Mike and Bob. Um, so there's, there's a clue to open up with. Uh, this Class B document provides exercises for the Adeptus Exemptus grade of the AA, wherein the initiate takes the Oath of the Abyss and is plunged into the depths with Lord Kronzon. Now, the Oath of the Abyss is like... Um, inviting the universe to sort of annihilate you with synchromistic uh, revelation, right? And um, so there are two methods supplied in this Class B document for the initiate. The first is designed to train the, the adept in thinking backwards. 
Um, Crowley provides six exercises that tend towards this goal. Um, and the third one, uh, it says, let him constantly watch, if convenient, cinematographic films and listen to phonographic records reversed and let him so accustom himself to these that they appear natural and appreciable as a whole. Um, the Beatles, probably most famously, also Led Zeppelin, of course, uh, but the Beatles started using this technique on the album Revolver in 1966, which if you say revolver backwards, it, it's revolver, right? So there's a little clue. Um, in 1967, which was the summer of love, they released Sgt. Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club and the Magical Mystery Tour, which features all kinds of experimental techniques, including backmasking. Uh, it is my personal theory that when these records were released, they effectively enchanted the airwaves with the initiations of Adeptus Exemptus. These are the initiations which bring one out of the abyss and into the city of pyramids as a magister templi or master of the temple. That's also associated with the Aeon of Mayotte. Um, Philip K. Dick, he had the anamnesis event when he was listening to Strawberry Fields Forever. Um, that's a that he remembered his place uh basically during the crucifixion of christ um i can't remember i think he thought he was either one of his followers or maybe one of the disciples he never really did figure it out but um he saw that we were somehow stuck in some sort of like historical abyss between two worlds which he termed the palm tree garden and the black iron prison um, and he worked this theory out a lot more like through his, uh, fiction, uh, the first stab at it was Radio Free Albemuth, which wasn't released during his lifetime. It was released in 1985. That was the year I was born. It's about, uh, back masking, um, secret messages and pop music, and all that kind of stuff and it's also about like the enchantment of the the radio waves um this sort of trans-dimensional uh intelligence valis sending messages to rebels um stuff like that and so anyway then this fits into uh what kenneth grant calls the seven-year cycle of the palm and the egg um 1967 is a direct hit and that also happens to be the year that the Beatles put out Sgt. Pepper and uh, the Magical Mystery Tour. The cover of Sgt. Pepper, of course, includes a, a cardboard cutout of Aleister Crowley. It also includes a big palm tree over top of a, uh, a person named Leo. I can never remember the guy's last name. He was like a British child actor. The, the story is that they wanted to put this guy on the cover and he wanted to charge them $400. So they just uh, covered him up with a palm tree. <laughs> but of course, um, there's this connection between Leo and the palm tree and the, uh, the goddesses of the palms and all that kind of good stuff with, um, with Sopdet and Sothis. Um, so that's pretty interesting. But then exactly seven years later in Grant's seven-year cycle, the Palm... It's 1974, too, which is a really yeah. significant year. Yeah, 1974 is when Philip K. Dick has his anamnesis event with Strawberry Fields. Where it was also the end of Robert Anton Wilson's... Uh, was it the beginning or the end of his Crossing of the Abyss? Oh, I don't know that. I don't know that. 
I'm pretty that sure sounds, he had his. That sounds like sounds like it would it would fit into that year. Um, Julius Bolli also died that year too. It was also the same year that um, Nima received Liber Pinae Prenumbra. Um, That's right. Yeah. Um, so. Yeah, and recently it's come to light that there are pages from Kenneth and Steffi Grant's hand-colored Carfax monographs featured in the film for Magical Mystery Tour, um, which one of the biggest hits for Magical Mystery Tour was I Am the Eggman. <laughs> and so there you have it. Um, yeah. This is all, of course, connected to Twin Peaks, the Black Lodge, the strange speech patterns that run backward and forward. At well, yeah, I was going to say it, it had never really <clears throat> occurred to me before, but... Um... You know, this is really in keeping with even earlier traditions, obviously, the Nightside Tree of Life, uh, the Grant was really into accessing the uh, other world, and then even, you know, here in uh, North America, and some of the uh, traditions like the Adena and the Hopewell, for instance, they also had this concept of uh, the other world, uh, and in both cases, it was essentially seen as a reversal of the normal order of things. Um, and you know, again, like Ro- uh, Roman culture, for instance, it was kind of celebrated with the Saturnalia, uh, mm-hmm. which ironically has started today uh, as we were recording this. Uh, you know, again, the whole reversal of social order with the slaves become masters and so forth. So, yeah, I mean, it would make sense, especially since I feel like music sound vibrations that kind of thing are so potent and how they can uh, either heal or harm human beings so it does make a lot of sense that backwards masking would be uh an ideal effect to put uh possibly even i mean the public at large in a state uh to where they would be receptive to this like you're saying almost black lodge like reality that's been alluded to in these traditions of the other world so that's uh, quite fascinating and ironically okay. i just uh, watched uh radio free ever off uh, a couple of nights ago too before i lost power so oh wow <laughs> if i could add um as uh I think I was about 12 and I was delving into my grandfather's record uh, collection and I came across a record on the front of uh, Sergeant Peppers that says, Welcome the Rolling Stones. And through this record, past the, uh, Through the Past Darkly, which was like in memoriam to Brian Jones, uh, I heard everything that I wanted the future to be for me, you know, the exotic sitars and the, you know, the the Brian Jones stones were um, to me uh, an absolute revelation, and it kind of coincided with puberty. And I looked back from well, when was this uh, early eighties? I looked back to sixty seven as kind of a, a flowering of that magical consciousness, although I didn't quite realise what it was at the time. So we've got sixty six to sixty seven as a kind of mass manifestation of um, thalamic and various occult ideas, uh, yeah. you know. It just, so here you are, you know, propagating yeah. this stuff. <laughs> Absolutely. And it's, it's stuck with, I've still got an obsession with, and through Brian Jones and reading like Stone's biographies, I, I read about Kenneth Anger, William Burroughs, um, uh, Brian Jones going into the desert to witness that um, goat being sacrificed. I think he was with Brian Geisen at the time, who was yeah. actually nicknamed the Eggman. So it all it all kind of crystallized for me 
and I see 66 to 67 as the the flowering, but very quickly after that, you got the 68 violent student protests, and of course 69 where we had the death of the 60s. Uh, I was about to say Marlon Manson, Charles Manson, and Altamont, and you know, possibly CIA engineer death of the 60s. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, it was quite an unraveling there. Um, but, uh, all right, so another uh, interesting component of your system is the ALW Cypher system. A lot of people listening to this are probably familiar with it, but can you guys give us a quick breakdown of it? Yeah, uh, the ALW Cypher, um, it's the British occultist James Lee's answer to Lieber Al 255. Um which reads, thou shalt obtain the order and value of the English alphabet. Thou shalt find new symbols to attribute them unto. Um, it's a simple affine cipher based on 11. Uh, people had tried to figure out what this cipher would be. They um, were pretty convinced that they needed to weigh it against um verse 276 which actually has a a sort of cipher it's sort of a ciphered verse you know it has like a long string of um letters and numbers that don't really make much sense but it looks kind of like the word algorithm is snuck in there somewhere and i mean there's a whole culture rp stovall as well yes. always reminds yeah, me of a name stovall is like kind of the name is kind of its popular name i would suppose yes thank you i was trying to remember the stubble thing yeah 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 and um and there's a whole culture in the lima and beyond of people trying to figure this cipher out and there's so many different answers um and the the reason that i picked it up is just because of my personal experience with it not necessarily because i'm so con totally convinced that it's the answer to the the order and the value of the english alphabet but there are interesting uh correspondent like self-referential correspondences you know um within the cipher that seem to um corroborate the fact that it is the best cipher to use and i mean starting with just the fact that 11 is um according to crowley it's the number of magic it's associated with the letter k or kaf in hebrew which is associated with like the fortune card the card of movement by will um and originally let's see i think he changed the name uh of liber alveligus originally it was liber l just the letter l and then um, he changed it after some discoveries were made by freder ashad um that seemed to suggest that there was the the key was al the key to the book was al and so well they never really figured out what the third letter would be but it seems to make sense that since 11 is the number of magic that it would go from there you know and so there are two main traditions that emerge from the work with the cipher um in england uh they call it english kabbalah and they have rites based on astrology they did most of their early work was published in the new equinox the british journal of magic and you can buy some of those today through hadian press Hadian Press has probably published more um, English Kabbalah stuff than anyone else. And they might be the only ones that have actually published the stuff. 
I'm not sure about that. But um, people like Kat Thompson, Jake Stratton Kent uh, are the big names for English Kabbalah. And then uh, New Aeon English Kabbalah or is associated with the American tradition. Um, this is where you get Secret Cipher, the Ufanauts, um, and their uh, approach was more based in synchromysticism and ufology. And we sort of merged the two here in our temple and with uh, Listening Post Alpha. That's how actually I had come across uh, Listening Post Alpha was I'd uh, done an interview with Kath Thompson and joined the ALW Cypher group and saw this uh, mad man called Bobby Hale posting uh, stuff to do with Twin Peaks in his blog, Blue Rose, White, uh, Blue Rose Black Dress. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I was instantly attracted to it because it was using popular culture, which, you know, I think is, um, we can't dispense with modern genius you know so after a while I, I must have been present and, and Bobby sent me a weird PM something to do with CIA something or other and that's where it all began with uh, my connection with the uh, Listening oh, yeah. Post Alpha project yeah yeah I used to have a, a I used to do a lot of like fake um, groups and fake uh, pages and for a while I had a fake CIA page and a fake FBI page and I would use it to kind of like harvest cut up content like people sending me all, ki all kinds of complaints to the CIA and like <laughs> stuff like that yeah and I so I sent Steve like a cut up I had made out of some of that stuff and yeah I basically just harassed Steve until he he gave me some some friendly attention <laughs> <laughs> All right, so let's get into my favorite part of what you guys have been alluding to. Twin Peaks, it's a huge part of your system. How does it fit in? Well, you know, um, it's still it's still an idea that's growing, and I'm, not, I'm still trying to get my head around it, but um, it starts with an experience I have called the ear apparent, where I was just, I went from like a passive viewer to suddenly being a, almost like a character in the Twin Peaks story. Um, one day, uh, I guess it was New Year's 2020. Um, I was sitting right here in my den and I was watching Twin Peaks Firewalk with me. I had just been wa binge watched uh, the first two seasons with my high priestess, Leah Nui Babal. And we had, neither one of us had ever seen Firewalk with me. So we turned it on, we started watching it. And usually when I watch a, a movie, I'll kind of sit and stay busy with some painting or some doodles, or maybe I'll work on a cut up or something. So I was sitting at kind of like our arts table and uh, I had, the haunted and accursed pile laid out on the table which is my name for the entity associated with uh my pile of cut up newspapers and comic strips and whatnot and um the scene with teresa banks came up on the screen where she's it's the autopsy scene where they pull a, a little sliver of paper out of her uh fingernail and it's the letter t and um i just had the idea at the time to pick up a piece of paper from the haunted and accursive pile and when i did i got the phrase see myself 
And I thought, huh, that's interesting. You know, like, am I being uh, haunted now by Teresa Banks or, you know, and I kind of just giggled to myself. And then I go and I had kind of been, I've been looking for an English gematria to, to really get down with, to, uh, to work with in the temple. And I had been kind of in flirtation with the ALW cipher, but I hadn't had any really convincing results. Um, I was kind of into the results around Babylon and Kronton, like Babylon equals goddess, gnosis, wine, water, alien, all that kind of stuff. Uh, so I thought that was really cool. And so it was kind of, the lights were kind of coming on for me, but this particular day, it got real wild. And so I, I checked the phrase, see myself by the cipher and it equaled 141. Uh, okay. And then I check Teresa Banks, by the cipher. Oh, it also equals 141. And also by the cipher, 141 equals the corpse. Um, <laughs> and it also equals uh, Hiram Abiff. And, you know, there's a, a degree where Hiram Abiff is murdered. And then um, the the initiate plays Hiram Abiff and is murdered and is resurrected and is given a secret cipher. Um, and so I'm kind of like processing all this kind of all this stuff. And um, a few days later, somebody drops some newspapers off at the place I, where I work. And I look at the newspaper and it has the line ear apparent. And well, that was uh, a sink for me because I had just watched the day before, the night before, I had watched uh, Blue Velvet. And in one of the first scenes in Blue Velvet, of course, Jeffrey Beaumont picks up an ear and it sends him on this kind of clepothic journey into the underworld um, where he has an encounter with uh, like the sacred whore. And um, I thought, well, this is all really interesting. And then I, this newspaper comes to me and it, it's has this big headline that says ear apparent. And then uh, the headline right next to it is uh, something about the meals on wheels. And that's also a clue in the investigation of uh, Laura Palmer's death is uh, they get this message that says, look into the, the meals on wheels, look into the meals on wheels. And so they figure out that she's using the meals on wheels as a front for something. Um, Part of it is that she's dictating her secret diary um, to a certain character. What is, I can't remember, his name's not coming to me right now. But uh, she's dictating her secret diary. Uh, to Howard, her. I think. Howard something, if I remember. Yeah, he's, he is a lonely soul. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> he, uh, anyways, yeah. He, and then I look up directly to my left, just glance over, and there's a guy he had just finished putting up there's this uh, fast food restaurant next to me called pals and on, on their, on their restaurant uh, marquee every day, they changed the, they put up a little inspirational message or some advice or something, you know, and uh, he, this guy had just put up this message that said, uh, keep a diary. Okay. And that's essentially what I've been doing ever since, you know, and uh, a, an experience like that raises all kinds of wild questions, you know, like when Steve was talking a minute ago about um, whether, you know, we kind of grapple with whether or not like our, when we have, we approach information, this influx of information um, for divinatory purposes, 
the question comes up again and again, is this chaos or is this actually controlled by uh, ultra terrestrial hands? You know, do they have such an effect on reality, you know, that they can put uh, assemblages together in this way? You know, and I think that's one of the most powerful questions that I keep asking myself, you know, and um, at this point, the Twin Peaks thing seems like, uh, like secondary to that, but it's just like always, I keep, it keeps coming back to me all the time, you know, like yesterday, I, I just figured out that Pierre equals the grandson, and you know, the, the, that's the little guy with the mask that shows up with his grandmother, he has these paintings that are like serve as portals into the lodges and whatnot, and you know it's just stuff like that all the time that i'm figuring out mike equals magic equals fire mike's an, a fire elemental or bob's a fire elemental who inhabited mike and all this kind of stuff you know it goes on and on and uh, synchronistically i had avoided twin peaks for some reason i tend to do that with shows that get super popular i feel like i've watched them already by listening to my friends talk about them but um my current partner at the time Sora star and i uh got obsessed with twin peaks and we were also binge watching it and it just you know uh with me experiencing i mean it's genius uh this will lead me on another theory i've got but um it just seemed that bobby and i and leah and groucho all met very synchronistically yeah absolutely and it and it was all around the cipher like almost as if the cipher was also organizing us or it was like this organizing principle all on its own you know very interesting yeah no it's um it's fascinating to me because that was you know i'm sure you guys i mean it's well i mean in your situation too because there is kind of that element that kind of relation to hell you're in it that was similar to how a lot of my current journey had started because I had become involved with uh, the Penny Royal guys, you know, Nathan, Paul Isaacs, and Darren, Kyle. Oh, and um, from there, I uh, met another one of my collaborators, Clay Bandivar, uh, who's actually here with me. We're about to go do some um, exploring in uh, Arden, Delaware, and Rose Valley, Pennsylvania, Wilmington, Delaware, a lot of other kind of uh, weird occultic sites uh, related to the DuPont family out here. So, yeah, it was just sort of interesting to see, uh, from my point of view, how you guys have been brought together, too, through sort of similar means with this uh, cipher system uh, that was based yeah, on the Uvenance thing and all this other kind of weird stuff. And uh, the thing with Twin Peaks, but, you know, just another thing, too, in general, is it seems fascinating, I mean, how a lot of this does operate through pop culture, which, and the arts in general, which I think is a major of this that's often overlooked especially as it absolutely like magic but um real quick the cybernetic cultural research unit or ccru and their use of hyperstition has that been an influence in your work i mean i ask because fictional works were central to their system as well especially lovecraft who also occupied a big place in grand system but um also derived works like in mouth of madness um were you guys taking notes somewhat in that uh, sense yeah i will say um you know, I, after I finished college, when I moved back home, when I, I had about four books with me, and the only one that I was really into at the time was the CCRU book. And um, 
you know, it's very much in line with what we're doing and that we're using magical methods and multimedia expressions in order to forge new ways of interacting with occultism, uh, philosophy and media, you know? And so, you know, I guess I, I am very, I was very connected to what they were doing by already doing it, I guess, you know, like I was already kind of into and doing what they were doing. I intersected with them because I was doing research in college on, uh, I was doing all this stuff with uh, Deleuze and Guattari's uh, 1000 Plateaus and I was tying uh, Masterpiece. And I was tying it in with William S. Burroughs and some of the stuff that he wrote in The Job. And um, the first two magical books I ever owned were um, William S. Burroughs' The Job which is all about uh, his his magical techniques and uh, the Necronomicon, and you know when I got that, I thought the Necronomicon was like a real a real grimoire. I didn't really understand. I didn't know anything about Kenneth Grant. I didn't know anything about. I knew a little bit about Aleister Crowley. Like I thought that he was the guy that called up the Loch Ness monster. Like I'd read that somewhere, but I, you know I really didn't know that much about it. And um, but I've always loved Grant, you know, after I started reading him and, uh, you know, I have a love hate relationship with, uh, Lovecraft, honestly. Um, I think the man was clearly a genius, but, uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't like to give much attention to fascists, you know, and, um, yeah. I feel the same about CCRU. Like it, it was a, a, a unit. It wasn't just Nick land, but yeah, I really, I, I grapple with giving Nick land a shout out. You know what I'm saying? Because he was instrumental in, um, I guess forging a, a certain, um, creative and magical line of flight that seems to be liberating a lot of people right now. But, um, for, sadly it's uh, leading a lot of people to fascism and i think we have to uh we have to consider that anytime we talk about these people but, I, I think his early work was um quite genius uh, he hadn't been tempted down that road yet i think he was yeah. still on the left at that point I, th I think there's a there's a sense in in his philosophy where it's like accelerationism uh inevitably takes you towards fascism you know um, and, and I, th for me, I'm a, I think accelerationism is just a, uh, a metaphysical inevitability and, uh, you know, it's, it's something that has to be fought on, on one level and embraced on another level. Um, but yeah, the, this idea of forming a magical system based on like a synchronistic seepage from a fic fictional universe, which is what we're doing, you know, and it's kind of what they were into, was definitely not the goal for uh, Temple of Babylon Kronzom. Um, but it just kind of, it just happened that way. You know, it just, it just, uh, the, the moment of revelation, you know, we were building, we were feeding, we were accelerating. And then we were destroyed by the final revelation of mm -hmm. uh, of Teresa Banks on the on the gurney, you know, by the corpse. And then we were presented with our new cipher in order to rebuild our world. I do think uh, hyperstition is a fascinating concept. Um, I believe part of magic. Um, for some reason, I'm reminded of the Percy by Shelley quote, poets are the unacknowledged legislators of the world. 
Yes. And I would I would say uh, magicians are the unacknowledged legislators of the future because in Gnosis and through um, induced genius, we're able to reach up into the formative worlds and grab new artifacts down, uh, often in, for me, the psychedelic uh, state. And, you know, that's kind of a goal for me is to, to bring something concrete back from from that realm and um yeah fascinating um where was it going with that yeah that 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 <laughs> i think that's good yeah well i think yeah i mean also it kind of plays into the concept of the muses too where you see sort of like the blurring between the arts and um you know uh, channeling and that kind of thing but i mean yeah, the yeah. tradition of you know, using fiction as a means of magical work. It's, it's, uh, it's an old tradition. It goes back to at least Russian Christianism, probably even earlier than that. But it, it really seems like since the, uh, the publication of the Semi Necronomicon in the 1970s, the lines between fiction and magic become increasingly blurred. What's your take on these uh, developments? Um, well, I mean, I, I think it all comes from the same source, you know. I think art and magic have have always been intertwined. Um, then, you know, they're it's both have always been an engagement with uh, illusion, hallucination, faces in the dark, um, and grimoires have always been based in some sort of fictional backstory. It seems like or. Um, yeah. or essentially hyperstitional in my estimation um you know it's like whether it's the ideologies that birth them or you know what have you uh but i think what you're seeing today with um like the fictional fictional stories coming into existence is just kind of this not this like nihilism around religion like people have kind of um lost connection with the old the old stories and they're looking for a new mythology you know and um so i think what happens is that we're actually sent these new mythologies like i honestly believe that twin peaks was sent to us by iwas just the same as i think that libra was sent to us by iwas yeah i i have the theory that any sufficiently inspired uh complex text um can can form its own uh gematria and kabbalah you know you could have twin peaks you could have um uh you know uh finnegan's wake yeah all that kind of stuff it's got to be complex though it's got to use unusual words and um be inspired you know the idea of hyperstition is drawing down that creativity yeah the drawing down and just and the dispersal but i think sometimes it's it's uh it's just it's projected you know what i mean like i'm not sure that you know like um anybody decided to air um the pilot for twin peaks on the 86th anniversary of the reception of the first chapter of the book of the law, you know, but that's how it happened. Uh, Well, I mean, I do, I mean, I honestly though have started to wonder about some of the stuff, the more I've gotten into Hollywood, well, Lynch's um, work, especially I've got a big show coming 
and Lost Highway, where we're going to get into that. But one thing I'll, I'll point out, though, is an interesting guy called Michael DeLuca. Um, he is a, a major studio head. I think he had overseen DreamWorks at one point, a few of the other big ones. Um, but before he became a major Hollywood uh, a bigwig, he was active in New Line Cinema. And he'd written a couple of scripts. He had also, uh, one of them was, uh, I think, the story initially for the uh, the Judge Dredd adaptation of Sylvester Stallone, which I'm guessing uh, was not up to his initial vision. Uh, but another script that he wrote, interestingly enough, and a project that he had pushed to be made for years was In the Mouth of Madness. Um, anyway, he had some success, and eventually he became, I think, the equivalent chief of production at New Line, and he spearheaded a lot of really interesting movies during that time frame, including Dark City, Pleasantville, Magnolia. Uh, then from there, he did his time as a major studio figure, um, but he did come back uh, in 2018, and again seems to have pushed forward another very interesting movie called Under the Silver Lake. So... I do find it quite fascinating that this gentleman who has wielded quite a tremendous amount of power in Hollywood has, when he has been given the opportunity, both written films and produced movies that have really dealt heavily with notions of reconceiving reality itself uh, and the world that we live in. So I do think that maybe... um, there might be higher level people who are aware of some of this stuff and we tend to give them credit. Oh, for well, I, I, yeah, I would say that's for sure, you know, but mm-hmm. um, I think if we're, if we're into it and we've discovered the, you know, the, the path, um, they must have, you know, they're intelligent people. Yeah. Um, but, but, and what I will say is that, you know, sometimes when I'm studying this stuff, especially w- with the Cypher and Twin Peaks, it's like very hard to put away the idea that somebody, Frost or Lynch or both, don't aren't aware of what they're doing exactly, you know. But also it's like that's that may just be how genius works, as Steve was saying, you know, that somehow there's some sort of... Uh, algorithm or pattern even to this this type of stuff you know and that that also could explain these sorts of uh, experiences where these assemblages emerge that uh that codify like this uh this experience of the ultimate or whatever yeah it's hyperstition again it's like artistic genius like picasso you know he broke up form in cubism and uh, curiously enough, he started in 1904, um, you know, and science as well. We mustn't forget science. And I think science is is circling back towards magic now. Absolutely. Um, yeah. Oh, it kind of like inevitably has to after you had, uh, oh gosh, I can't remember the one guy's name, but some of the more prominent mainline uh, physicists uh, claiming that the uh, the universe was essentially meaningless. Uh, when you get to that sort of state of denial, I mean, is there anybody could actually yeah. know that? But um, yeah, yeah. Th- there's only you've got to like at least you know at that point consider that the pendulum is going to be swinging back the other way. You you just can't really yeah. go much further in the other. Direction. Everything, everything, as Patty Smith once said, everything is holy. Uh, 
All right, so let's talk some how you're here for a minute. I mean, how do you see that playing out in these developments? Certainly have popularized concepts like synchromysticism, Greenfield's peculiar cyber, cyber system, and other concepts conventional paranormal shows have generally avoided up to that point. I mean, it really was a breath of fresh air, and I think uh, brought a lot of laymen into looking at uh, these kinds of phenomena in a very different way. Yeah, yeah. It was it was encouraging to me. Uh, I watched Hellier. I guess I finished Hellier not long uh, after. Hellier made me look at the ALW cipher again because I had uh, I had Lieber one eight seven by Jake Stratton Kent, which was like the English Kabbalah tradition, and I was kind of like, uh, man, like I don't I don't really know where we're going with this. And um, but then uh, yeah, it made me take a look at Greenfield's work, and I was fascinated you know, and started working with it again. Um, I think that a lot of people are missing the point with Hellier um, just because it's a television show. So a lot of people kind of wait like a cargo cult on the new Kirks to like drop a golden egg, you know what I mean? Um, when they should be doing their own investigations. Uh, and my take on the show was that it was a mass call to these exciting techniques of esoteric research and uh, ultra the ultra terrestrial paradigm and i think that you know the the uh entity iwas has has a lot to do with that show as well um and i think the most radical idea put forth in hellier that i really appreciated is this idea of self-initiation you know in concert with synchronistic mile markers like um the idea that you can obtain some sort of uh, initiatory uh uh, discovery of self and other through um, synchronicities without the um, without going to some sort of order or you know uh, somebody a guru or some sort of greater yeah. authority you know um, because we see how that kind of works out you know and yeah so this was something Temple BC was was doing before we saw Hellier, but it was a big confirmation uh, for us to see someone else doing it. Yeah, it was very. Yeah, incredible. I found it uh, refreshing um, as I did Temple Babylon Coronzon, because before I think I had rather rigid ideas of what magic was. You know, you had Thelema, you had Golden Dawn, which I self initiated with a, a book and worked through to, I think, Theodicus before I gave up. Uh, and I would have called Hellier and some of Temple BC's work maybe soft magic, you know, like mm, that's kind of, a, you know, UFOs and, and uh, goblins and that don't fit with my very restricted view of magic. But then I opened myself up to that and it's been extremely productive and uh I believe self-initiation is extremely important because not everyone has access to groups. You know, I'm in Aberdeen. My nearest uh, OTO lodge is in Edinburgh. I don't think I'd be interested in joining the OTO anyway. But, um, yeah, through the internet, um, we're making connections, rhizomatic connections, if you will, uh, and we can all initiate What's also interesting to me, because um, I've been studying a lot of the French school, especially kind of like in the late 19th century, going all the way up to the early 20th century. Um, 
especially sort of around some of the characters with the Rajakrushan order there was it the uh, Kabbalistic order of Rose Cross or something to that effect. And then, of course, Martinism um, later grew out of that. Uh, but I was interested when I was reading some accounts of this to learn that um, they really weren't into the Golden Dawn system. There had been a few attempts to bring some of these prominent French figures into it, and they just weren't that impressed with it, actually, because of the um, importance that it placed on ceremonial magic. This was one of the things that the uh, British magicians and the French kind of uh, parted ways on. They, the French just weren't really into that very much, though they were very uh, committed to theurgy. Uh, but they also did see a lot of value in the arts, uh, especially with the, uh, I think it was an Impressionism. Um, there was the one composer, uh, was it DeBoss or something like that, who was uh, active in a lot of these circles and several other uh, major figures. But then this later continued on into the 20th century, and especially with uh, the birth of surrealism, which is really it just, even though they tried to secularize it, I mean, it's an artistic movement totally based on occult principles. Yeah. <laughs> a little bit, but um, it's just fascinating to me that uh, there was this sort of emphasis on the one hand, this uh, particular French school that uh, really did embrace the arts as a means of magical work and transformation. I, I think it's a it's a cultural difference there because Britain in the Golden Dawn days was still extremely class structured, uh, you know the monarchy, uh, the French had had their revolution and they were much more free-thinking than the the British stuffy establishment figures. You know, uh, Freemasonry had a big influence on uh, the Golden Dawn. Yeah, Hierarchy, you know. Yeah, you can see that with uh, the, the continental and analytic split in philosophy as well, you know, the same kind of attitudes. Absolutely. French are far more adventurous. <laughs> yeah, it is fascinating. Uh, well, I don't want to give us a two sidetrack, though, but yeah, it is interesting to see how we are, I think, kind of moving away from this really rigid system like you guys are talking about that uh, has dominated so much Anglo-American thinking and was really rooted in this uh, this class system and maybe into something it's more natural and organic uh, using, you know, these, because I think really ultimately, as I sort of alluded to before, what the muses, the arts are a lot like theurgy in the sense that they all sort of deal with, I think, you know, channel communications, ascension, descension, that type of thing. Um, but on that, that's, that brings us good enough point for our next topic here, reality shifting. It's supposedly really big among the kids present. I did an episode on this about a year and a half ago or something. Um, for those of you unfamiliar with it, it's basically, it's almost lucid dream-esque uh, process that the kids go through, but it uses fiction in a lot of cases. Like, you would script out a story, say, based on Harry Potter where you go to Hogwarts for several years, and you would work it out so you would, you know, have a relationship with Draco Malfoy and then dump him at the prom or something like that. And, uh, yeah, they some of them would manage to go into these lucid dream states and they'd come out of them swearing that it was like they'd experienced seven years all at once. Um, in some cases, they've even used subliminals and videos and things like that would um, get into uh, these states. So, it's again, another fascinating current out there. Um, do you guys see that as being part of the same current that you're on? Um, 
well, in in the traditions, I've um, you know the Horus Mat Lodge had the idea of the astral temple where you you construct uh, with a group or on your own, I guess. You know, you you construct a place in your imagination that you can go to in meditation. And um, me and my, my yeah, it's almost partner. like a memory palace concept. I just yeah, absolutely. It. And I give credit to that. You know, these are the, you know, children are our future. But um, yeah, I think it's great. I more power to them. Yeah, absolutely. And you know, I, I reality shifting. I mean, I, I've that's kind of what I what happened to me with the Twin Peaks thing. You know, like I I didn't, but I wasn't putting a much a much will into it. You know what I mean? I was just, uh, it kind of just came to me. It kind of just happened all at once. Um, yeah, uh, I, I don't know that much about about it as you're describing it, but it sounds great. It sounds like a really great uh, approach. Yeah, it's a, it's a technique for um, kind of planning a lucid dream experience. I don't know how they make it seem very simple. I don't know how simple it would be. Um, yeah, know, no, just, apparently it's not like as simple as some of the gurus make it out to be. There are a yeah. fair amount of uh, people, you know, who do struggle with it. So, yeah, but, uh, I think it requires some uh, latent uh, magical talent, which I do think is a thing. Yeah, no, absolutely. But uh, again, it does seem like it's uh, it's another one of these developments that seems so in keeping with what we're seeing going on in this day and age in terms of uh, the direction that magic has been moving. Absolutely. I'm all for futurism. Uh, and if the, if the teenagers are, are doing this, I think that's probably the future of magic. Well, okay. So how about uh, Jupiter and Saturn? I mean, obviously they're huge in the occult. How do they fit into your system? Obviously they appear a lot in Twin Peaks and, Generally, Lynch's other works as well. Can you break that down for us and what you've uh, uncovered? Um, yeah, so I mean, the Great Conjunction is historically seen as uh, ominous, you know, um, and there's reason for that. I guess it might be tied to the mythology, um, is like the patricidal Oedipal mythology of Jupiter and Saturn. Um, but I see it astrologically as like a power zone that it's like um, Saturn's power is muted during that time. And um, if you look at the, this mythology of Jupiter and Saturn, uh, Venus is created from the castration of uh, Saturn. And so it's kind of like a, uh, it's a, a point where you can transcend and uh, enter into Congress with the goddess. Um, in Twin Peaks, the Great Conjunction is an astrological power zone where the veil is thinned and the lodges can be accessed through portals on Earth, like the Sycamore Circle in Glastonbury Grove. Um, and in the cipher, uh, four equals H, and uh, they kind of tongue-in-cheek call the, the owl cave petroglyph, uh, they refer to the uh, Saturn and Jupiter signs as the 4-H club. And um, so that also brings us back to the cipher again, and it's just another synchronicity, you know. And also by the cipher, uh, Saturn and Jupiter equals listening post alpha. Uh -huh. um, 
And they also equals the number 237, which um, any uh, Kubrick fans out there, room 237 is like the terrible Klepothic room in, um, in The Shining where uh, the father kind of goes to hang out with uh, his demons, you know, go dance with his demons. Um, the, the last one was December 21st, 2020. Uh, the last great conjunction. Uh, it's the, solst- uh, the solstice, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, the, you know, I had the ear apparent. Uh, I'll tell you guys something really interesting about that in a second, too. Yeah, I had the ear apparent. Uh, uh, the ear apparent thing happened January of that year, New Year's. And then um, I actually lost my job when COVID started in March, but I got unemployment. And I was able to just kind of sit around and work on this stuff and think about this stuff and write about this stuff uh, for a good, a good eight months. Um, And right near the end of that, I decided that the ear apparent thing had to do with this, uh, the spirit box work. So I ordered a spirit box. I received it in October and um, I received some pretty heavy messaging in my work on December 21st, 2020, that kind of, I felt like was urging me to uh, reestablish the LPA. Um, And there were rumors, real heavy rumors during this time that some sort of continuation of Twin Peaks was being filmed. Uh, This turned out to be untrue as far as we know, but it's my opinion that this continuation is what I'm living through um, and that we are all right now in the Black Lodge. Absolutely. At, at first, I saw Jupiter and Saturn as a kind of opposites. You know, Jupiter is the 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 planet of wealth and success, and Saturn is is very dubious in the occult world. You know, it's the great malefic, I believe they call it, and I saw it as a kind of dialectic between those two. Yeah, absolutely. Mm-hmm. Jupiter being possibly the White Lodge. Saturn being the Black Lodge, but, but you know, in the red room, they've got a black and white tiled floor. And I think that's saying, is the White Lodge purely good and is the Black Lodge purely bad? You know, yin and yang, there's a bit of black in the white and white in the black. So I don't think we can be um, dualistic about it. Absolutely. And the Black Lodge is, you know, it's um, you move through the Black Lodge to get to yeah. the White Black I think Black Lodge, Lodge is human life. Yeah, yeah, well, yeah, especially as it is now. And I think about it aeonically. I think about it socially. Um, you know, like Philip K. Dick, his uh, his whole idea, like between the uh, the palm tree garden and um, and the black iron prison. You know, it's like um, he says that. Well, neither we're not living in either one of those realities fully. We're living in like the nexus point between them, um, and it's this constant battle between the influences of the two. And it's not necessarily that we want to be in either one perpetually. It's that we want to kind of loosen the hold that those uh, those realities have on our reality you know but um in the show yeah the uh um they make it clear that like the black lodge is a place of actually it's a spiritual purification you know um and you you move through it in order to um 
yeah, catch a glimpse of the goddess or to uh, have union with the ultimate. Mm-hmm. I agree. All right, so my grand conjunction thing going with the solicitous, um, if I'm not mistaken, I'd have to go back and check the date specifically, but I believe the last time, and it wasn't the last time, but there was one that occurred in um, the early 17th century, right at the time the Rosicrucian manifestos were like at the peak, uh, you know, the initial Rosicrucian fervor, yeah, which uh, really helped launch a lot of the Masonic movements and a lot of this other stuff. And it's fascinating to me because, um, you know, the current grand conjunction that we had in 2020 that you guys were just talking about occurred right before the events in September or excuse me, January 6th, uh, which again was basically a ritualistic feast of fools being played out. Uh, of course, January 6th is the day that Hugo uses for the feast of fools and the uh, hunchback of Notre Dame. But it was quite a variable feast of fools. The Rosicrucian order has a, a very, uh, I think they have a origins, at least it's my theory, in the Franciscans. So it's very fitting that there would be that. Uh, connection to that and these uh, two conjunctions there and also the whole element of chaos uh, certainly the Feast of Fools was a kind of uh, Catholic take on the Saturnalia mm-hmm. yeah there's uh, it for some reason uh, when you bring that up the this idea also that Philip K. Dick had of he had this vision of something he called James James which I'm not I can't remember what the name really meant but um or, maybe it was drawing on jesus and james you know like his brothers oh yeah it was jesus's brother yeah i think yeah i think in the um in the the gnostic text i think it was james yes yes yeah and um and so by the cipher james equals jesus but uh that's neither really here nor there but um yeah he he talks about this um this force that he calls james james which has no foresight no side at all it's blind and he associates it there's a he comes this vision of james james comes to him uh with a a palm tree and a uh a uh, swastika and um i think that's associated with one of the nazi groups in africa that was fighting in africa south africa Oh yeah, like Rommel's um Yeah, yeah. Desert yeah. rats. Yeah, and he has and he develops this idea that, you know, there's this this undergirding sort of like fascist uh force that's moving through in dialectical opposition to um to freedom and that actually because it's so bad and because it's with no foresight it it causes its opposite to to happen you know like the swastika moves through and and then uh brings the palm tree garden into fruition now ominously i'm also recalling you know mar-a-lago and all the palm trees (laughs) you know what i mean so and i'm also you know and i'm and i'm thinking you know no foresight at all and you think of like yeah this feast of fools these these fools that broke in to to the uh oh of course yeah that's a great point this guy like sitting 
with his feet up at Nancy Pelosi's desk. And it's like, well, okay, you got in there, you're sitting at her desk. What are you going to do? You know, nothing. You think he could do her job <laughs> just the same as she couldn't do his job. So it's like, yeah, it really is. Uh, it really is something. And then, you know, dialectically, all those people have been exposed. Um, it's, you know, the, the situation is, continues to develop but it's looking like we have uh, an ex-president who's about to be indicted for doing some really wild stuff so we'll see where it goes but yeah that that just came to mind yeah i'm also reminded of the blind idiot god yaldaboth yes yes who eventually through his yeah his his blind force brings us to paradise Redemption through sin, as Shabbatai's <laughs> and all that. Yeah. Yes, <laughs> yeah, yeah, and that goes, yeah, that goes very deep, literally. Yeah. All right. So, what are uh, some of your encounters with ultra-terrestrials like? Um. Well, so well, there's a section in the book uh, called LPA Origins, and. Um, it, I included some personal stories and some uh, some products of ultra-terrestrial encounters um, the agents had before joining LPA. And, um, you know, I think some ways you can encounter ultra-terrestrials are through, like, the use of psychedelics, dreams, cut-ups. Um, and according to the cipher, ultra-terrestrial equals Ophidian current. And that's a fancy uh, term for the kun- the force of the Kundalini. Um, according to the Gnostic Church of Lux, there's like 11 ways to access the Ophidian Current. I think there's a lot more, but um, they list like total concentration on magical symbols, the Kalas, which is, uh, that refers to sexual and uh, sexual energies and drugs. Um, shock speed musical ecstasy magically controlled sexual activity which they list as very dangerous Uh, absolute compassion for all created things aesthetic rupture rapture it goes on and on um anyways so i would like to just read my account of a group that i call the accountants um that i experienced in 2013 um if you don't mind yeah, it go was, for it, man. Uh, it was 2013, the year of the witch, and I was looking for some trans-dimensional brain fuck bliss. Someone close had a ton of killer mystery acid. You know the kind. That bitter, head-splitter, black lab shit. Like a good psychonaut, I bought as many hits as I could afford and put them all on my gum line as soon as I made it home. I turned on an old VHS tape, Burroughs, Geisen, video cut-ups. Last words of Hassan Saba, I'm gone. Black and white movie light massaging my eyes. Thousands of tiny burrows everywhere. Alien sound vibes in the form of thick, dark, dirty oil sludge flowing out of my television into my bedroom floor. I lay down in the oil feeling wet and overwhelmed. An entity lifts me up three feet and places my body on a pentagram that's just my size. The pentagram spins at light speed. I vomit an ocean of dark matter. Pulsating, rotating, horror, sudden stop, a voice whispers into my left ear. We can make use of you. Who are you? I scream squirm. There's no escape. 
I'm the one who settles accounts. Entire world up in flames. I'm swelling corpse. Is this death? Is this hell? Then nothing, smoothed out black. The air is cool. I'm enjoying my buzz. Out of the void, a pillar grows beneath me and propels me hundreds of feet up into the night sky. I am now sitting on a magical circle above the planet Earth, shivering. Glyphs and symbols, no comprendo. Thousands of energy beams penetrating, all possessing a voice speaking to me at once, begging permission to enter, to make use of me. I dig my fists into the pillar and scream. My body explodes. I have no physical presence. The voice speaks to me once more. You will help us settle the accounts, and we will help you settle yours. Visions of my cattle farming neighbors and their ancestors, a lineage of vile deeds, slaves raped and beat, sick babies drowning, primordial shrieking death gas, a little girl sobbing as her father hangs from the tree in my front yard. He looks at me and says, I paid my debt. Back to reality? Strange mucus sweat, smell of ashes, weaning baby cows howl for mother in the distance. My cat wanted to go outside. I left her out, I let her out the front door and we never saw her again. Goodbye, macaroni. That's why I love this guy. Yeah, it's well put there, man. Absolutely. True story. Yeah. I actually um, I'm of the Terence McKenna school of why spend 20 years meditating in the ashram when you can take psilocybin or DMT and instant connection with ultra terrestrials. I generally do. I'm, I've got. I'm, I'm leaving actually tomorrow to my uh, magical partner's beautiful home in the wilderness of Scotland. Uh, we've got some DMT and some psilocybin. We're going to do a ritual. Uh, we always ritualize uh, mushroom sessions because it kind of frames it, you know, set and setting and all that. But that's when um, I can't say I've ever had uh, an experience with ultra terrestrials through general ritual magic. But when I take psychedelics, it's a it's a it's a conversation between whatever the hell those mushrooms spirits are and myself and, and sometimes it's a battle sometimes it's a, a a pleasant conversation sometimes entities will visit me and there was once even um <laughs> it's kind of embarrassing but hathor who is an egyptian goddess i've always had a bit of an affinity for uh came in and and shagged me basically and i i uh actually ejaculated so yeah, that's where I that's where I get my uh, contact from. Yes. I've had similar experiences. Yeah, yeah. yeah. No, I mean, it can uh, definitely be a trip. That is for sure, uh, both literally and figuratively. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right, uh, as listeners of the farm are well aware, I love talking about a Native American uh, earthworks. It's a topic that's close to my heart. Uh, Spent a good chunk of my life here in Appalachia. Uh, it's a bit fitting, uh, by the way, that we're joined here by Stephen Ra here from uh, Scotland, another area with a lot of a uh, high. A lot of sacred sites up here, which I'll maybe get onto later. Yeah, 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 and also certainly a lot of uh, more from the uh, Borders area, but a lot of Scots Irish ended up here in Appalachia. So, um, was I think fascinating when I got the like, Scotsman here to work with or Scotswoman. Uh, anyway, um, one of the topics that uh, Marx, not 
Spectrum, or Scruffy Trout, uh, rather. <laughs> Another member of your collective had gotten into uh, one of the podcasts I've listened to. It was THC. Um, I can't remember now off the top of my head. But it was uh, on Ohio's Mysterious Serpent Mound. As I understand it, he had some interesting experiences there, as I think some of you other uh, guys had in uh, one plane or another. Uh, do you care to share any of those with us? Um, yeah, so he's he's not here, but I can uh, talk about a couple of things that he found in his research that were really interesting was, like, there was this kind of um, alignment at the, like, at the, the mouth of the river that runs, uh, is it underneath the Serpent Mound? And then... I know, it runs, like, alongside of it. Alongside it, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's... Yeah, and then the, these structures the are always, almost always by rivers, by the way. It's really <laughs> fascinating. Yeah, yeah. And um, so there was, like, there was all this kind of weird stuff, uh, but he noticed, you know, that, like, little things, like, at the end of the river, there was a bridge, and then at the end of the bridge was a police station, and it was the huh. exact same way in, in the Nile. Also, I guess he's done some workings out there. He he started uh, magically working out there long before we met him. No, it's it's yeah, interesting it's because that. Wisconsin has got so many of them too. But they're like serpent mound in the sense that they're you know these mounds that can mainly be viewed uh, in the air, especially like Man Mound, which is quite remarkable. But I mean, again, there's yeah. also this threat of them always being built near like waterways and what have you. So. Mm-hmm. So do you think it was Native Americans or do you think it was some kind of Ur civilization that, that inhabited the Americas? Uh, I mean, it's hard to say, but, you know, he's spot on with the astrological significance of the ones in Ohio. I mean, I actually think that the Adena and the Hopewell were practicing their own form of uh, theurgy at those uh, particular sites. I mean, that more or less, that's what a lot of the major structures were designed for. I mean, this whole process of ascension and dissension. Of course, they had kind of similar beliefs to some of the... Uh, the esoteric traditions in the West, uh, you know, the human soul originating from uh, the Milky Way. And in the case of, like, the Hopewell Mounds of Water, I mean, one of the theories is that, because uh, there was, there's sort of this perception that there were two souls, right? So you have the sort of higher soul that upon death returns to the celestial spheres, and then you have, like, the lower soul that's more like a rake or something. This is the hungry ghost, the residual that's left on Earth. And that's, in theory, one of the reasons why they were built there by the water, so that this, you know, hungry ghost could be trapped in the water. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, that's interesting. I think that's what he was getting to with the uh, the police stations at the end. It's almost like there's an as above, so below sort of thing there, you know what I mean? Like a, a sort of place where you could trap people and, and you know. Well, it's, yeah, it's, it's fascinating because there are several significant prisons that have been built near um, these mound sites. Of course, uh, Chickacothe, uh, Ohio, where there's Mound City. Uh, which was a huge complex. I mean, there's not one but two large prisons built there. And uh, the one wow. prison, literal uh, black iron prisons. Yeah. Well, it's even more remarkable in Moundsville, West Virginia, because you have the Adena site there, um, um, the Grave Creek Mound, which is one of the largest, it might actually be the largest site left intact. It's like almost 60 feet high off the ground. But 
directly across the street from it is um, the Moundsville prison, which is where the state of West Virginia did its executions all the way up, I think, until like the 30s or something. That's where oh, the electric yeah. chair was. But it's this massive Gothic. Uh, I mean, it's really like a black iron prison. It's this just horrendous Gothic structure. It looks like a castle. And mm-hmm. in recent years, it's basically uh, become a part of pop culture. The show Castle Rock has used it as a stand-in for the Shawshank prison. So, um, you know, it's fascinating. It remind, with the police station, it reminds me of the demon guards in uh, Burroughs' Western Lands, and which was influenced by the Egyptian Book of the Dead, of course. Mm-hmm. No, it yeah. definitely is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. He, I guess he also has been working. Uh, Grouch has been working uh, usually during the solstice. He goes up there. Um, last solstice, he did a transmission that was pretty interesting. Um, he would have to talk about it though. But um, I, we found out uh, about midway through this year that Horace Mayot Lodge is actually doing their eleven star right. Uh, and actually projecting to Serpent Mound every new moon all through uh, 2022. Yeah. And, yeah. Yeah. And so I, um, when I figured that out, I went ahead, me and Leah uh, self initiated into the Horace Mayot Lodge. Um, Steve was already a member. And, uh, but I think he, he kind of fell off, fell off the, the Horace Mayot. Yeah, I had a disagreement with the uh, head of the order who has now been uh, dismissed. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, yeah, that that's a it's a. Yeah. So Steve, Steve has returned to the Horace Mayot Lodge and uh, we are now initiates and we've done the last two uh, new moon rites and tried to astrally project to serpent maui and uh, we did some spirit box transmissions on those dates as well um kind of got disturbing intel you know um yeah. uh like about vladimir putin and nuclear war and i don't think i was really channeling the energies of the serpent mound exactly but i was getting some really fascinating intel um now the second time i did it I had a really interesting experience where I was basically given a uh, a vehicle by the guides in a LPA session um, that I was told to ride a uh, what was it a steel amber bird and by huh. by the ALW steel amber bird equals uh, two twenty one ultra terrestrial so I thought that was fascinating and so I did some work leading up to the day. Um, trying to um, man and drive this steel amber bird and I'm still to this date not very good at it um, I had a really intense um, I wouldn't say lucid dream involving the steel amber bird the other night but it, it felt much more real than any um, uh, prior form of astral projection that I've done willfully now what happened to me in that right was um i landed on at serpent mound i was greeted by several ufos i landed and then i got out and i started walking around i went to the egg and i laid down on the egg and then i was um i got caught in a loop between 
the the moon base and and the egg and uh i think what happened is leah was doing a a listening session at the same time and she kept hitting the button and every time she would hit the button it was like doing Mm -hmm. something to my consciousness you know but it took me a long time to figure it out well because i was pretty deep into into that meditative state and when I, you know, I eventually came out of trance state, but yeah, I just, I kind of got locked in. Um, I'm going to try again uh, this month. We'll see what happens, but it'll be in the next journal, all those reports. Yeah. Well, in, in Scotland, obviously we don't have mounds, but we do have stone circles and where I live in Aberdeen, I think. Uh, oh, Aberdeen. I got to point this out. You just reminded me of this. It's such a fascinating story. So I'm the uh, the time I went to Serpent Mound was um, in April, I believe, of uh, 2020, and I was actually with my uh, mate Clay Vandebar, who's uh, here with me. The one I'm about to go exploring, uh, art in Delaware, and some other interesting spots with, and who I had met through Penny Boyle. Uh, so, anyways, we are driving up uh, to the Serpent Mound. Uh, complex along with John Brisson and uh, Clay's brother, uh, we see fairy mounds, or excuse me, fairy rings, fairy rings, like a huge uh, one too, like right yeah. out there. We actually stopped on the way back and got pictures with it, but these were some of the most impressive fairy rings I have ever seen, and it was like maybe a mile or two from the outside of the Serpent Mound. It was really, I mean, one of the most magical things we had. There was a lot of like incredible stuff like that happened. That was very really special moment yeah groucho he, he makes note of um near serpent mound they got they actually he actually got lost and it was like de la palma road and they had all these like uh plastic palm trees and, and one of the yards you know and uh all this kind of stuff so there's there's this weird synchro mystical like yeah it's like uh yeah because it's off of us zone, 23 uh, too which is yeah, a, a uh, really yeah. charged highway in general <laughs> Yeah, it's like the closer you get to these areas, the more you start to, it's like a, yeah, yeah, a, a certain sort of force starts to take over, you know, and, and you can read it from the ground up, you know. Power zones, uh, like yeah. we have in the human body, chakras. Yes, yeah. Hot point. Stephen, and I know you were about to make a comment there about uh, fairy rings before I so rudely interrupted you. Uh, oh, no, no problem. Yeah, so obviously in the UK, well, in Scotland specifically, we don't have serpent mounds, but we do have a ton of stone circles. Uh, where I live in Aberdeen, Shire, uh, I think there's more. Uh, I remember going out with an anthropology group when I was at university, and they said there's more uh, stone circles in the northeast of Scotland than there are anywhere else. So uh, me and my magical partner, who I'm now hooked up with again, um, we got a book. Uh, do you guys ever heard of Julian Cope? He was a, like a rock star. I love Julian Cope. I love the yeah. Teardrop Explodes, and I love yeah. his solo albums too. Yeah. Oh, he's fantastic. Yes. Yeah. So he's written he's... some great books on sacred geometry. Too. Oh, yeah. And... Uh, Head On and the other one are fantastic rock uh, biographies. Anyway, um, he published a book called The Modern Antiquarian, where he lists, I mean, he's thorough, and he's listed pretty much every stone circle in Britain. So we use this as our guide, and we used to um, go out in the car and just drive to these obscure stone circles, you know, not the ones that are all fenced off and and commercialised, 
but uh, there's one called Sun Honey, which is just in the middle of nowhere. It's in a uh, like farmland, and it's just uh, you know, and we just used to lie back there. And recently, uh, for the uh, autumn equinox, we went to Starnaway to visit the Callanish stones, which are extremely impressive. Uh, in a cruciform shape, so I imagine it, it seemed to me like there was a, a beginning stone, and then the ritual procession would go down, but then it forked off in a kind of crucifix, and I was trying to kind of psychically pick up the vibes of what happened there, and I couldn't. <laughs> but it was a it was a beautiful trip. Um, so yeah, stone circles are are the British equivalent of serpent mounds, I'd say. Yeah, I should point out this was like a natural fairy ring we saw up here with like flowers, which is what made it, I mean, all the more incredible the fact that there were, it was like, I think, three almost uh, perfect circles that he appeared like around with these flowers. I mean, it was just so remarkable to see it appear in nature like that. Um, but yes, yes. Uh, so, um, all right. So there was another question here. I hadn't put it in, but it had occurred to me after I was like going back through um, some of your interviews here. I was really pleased to see that you had traced back the origins of the cut-up method actually to the surrealist circles. And that brings up the whole um, concept of the exquisite corpse, uh, which I think you had also alluded to before. But thats it's fascinating to me that you had uh, gotten into that because I've been doing a lot with the Black Dahlia murder uh, recently. And uh, there is compelling evidence that uh, it was performed by Georgia Dillon my opinion, probably a circle around him, some Hollywood types like John Houston and wow, yeah. potentially also involved wow. as a kind of ritualistic experience. But it's evident to me that David Lynch very much deals with this heavily in uh, Lost Highway as well as uh, the Jack the River murder, which I think uh, was very similar in the sense as well. Oh, and it's, it's fascinating as well because another figure who's been held up as a potential suspect, either it's the river himself or someone involved in it, was another artist uh, Walter uh, Sickarth, I believe is how it's pronounced. Yeah, yeah. And give out an impression of him. So there's this interesting just, you know, thread of art that runs through this, and you almost see this reflected in the letters. I mean, that's another fascinating similarity between the Dahlia and uh, the Ripper killings was the fact that there were these very um, colorful uh, letters that were addressed to the press. Yeah, beautiful. Uh, some have speculated yeah. there might have been ciphers in it and, you know, this kind of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. So what is your take on this? Where, I mean, it's almost like there's been this merger of ritual murder and art. In some of these. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's, uh, it's interesting. I, I don't know what to make of it. And I don't go too far into it, you know, because uh, this this phenomenon has a way of like, uh present biting you in the ass yeah like present yeah present like when you look you go look and you find it you know um but yeah i, I have done some work with the cypher and uh and the black dahlia murder and gotten some interesting results i can't remember any of those at this moment uh but it's on the alw cypher group uh, if you just search black dahlia murder you, you'll find some some pretty fascinating stuff um you know by the by the cipher, um, 93 actually equals murder. Um, and, you know, the only time that we've looked into any real true crime stuff 
here with LPA was uh, around the summer whales investigation. Summer whales was a, a child, a five-year-old who went missing um, about 15 minutes down the road from me um, in Kingsport, Tennessee on highway 93, by the way, huh. and, um, by the cipher. A lot of people think that her mother did it. Um, there's no evidence of that. Um, but by the cipher, uh, her mother's name equals 93. They lived off highway 93 next to cafe 93. Um, little things like that, you know, and yeah, we looked at, we started, I started looking into that and I did a couple of mediumistic sessions and I got some interesting results. Um, but I was also told like, leave it to the professionals. This is not something for you. And I kind of had some weird experiences like my door coming open in the middle of the night, um, fires almost breaking out and all this kind of stuff. So I felt like, um, I was drawing in some real heavy energies that I didn't want to deal with, you know, so I, I stopped my probing in that direction. And, and as a rule, I kind of don't go in that direction, you know, because I, yeah. I have too many, too many people around here that are, that depend on me, uh, not taking it, taking it in that, in that direction specifically. Yeah. I, I am fascinated with, uh, true crime myself and especially, serial killers who you know like ted bundy richard ramirez i actually believe they were actually demonically possessed i really yeah, do I'll, I'll, yeah i believe that too i think that's absolutely yeah mm-hmm. and and they could yeah and it, and it could be you know that that there is some magician behind that kind of stuff that is either um has put that in the air you know what i mean and they've picked yeah. it and they're harvesting, yeah. well, the, the Garmambusia. Exactly, yeah, something like that. Or it could just be straight up that there are these guys who are directly, uh, you know, who have these, these death cults and are, you know, pushing these sorts of events. Well, that's something I heard about on um, uh, Recluse's podcast today about the smiley face killers, which I found oh, fascinating. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, absolutely. Well, and I was going to point out too, like there's there's a lot of not necessarily ninety threes, but thirty nines in some of these cases. I mean, of course, I think again this goes back to the Jack the Ripper thing uh, with some of the dates of the murders. Uh, I think the first one was on August thirty uh, first, which was uh, thirty nine. The another, I think it was the double murder, the fourth of the series occurred on um, September 30th, so another 39, and then there were 39 days between that and the last murder, which was on, it was November 9th, which also brings up 11-9, another really significant uh, as well, but, um, so yeah, and then there was another suspected victim of the Ripper, uh, not part of the official five murders, but it also been stabbed 39 times, and then um, it shows up in the Dahlia killing. Uh, of course, she was found right off of 39th Street in L.A., uh, and I believe there were some other 39s, but I can't recall off the top of my head, um, but it shows up in some other things. Uh, uh, what's his name? Richard... Uh, oh, God, I just... Uh, Ramirez? Of, no, not Richard Ramirez. Uh... uh Berdetta or something like that. Oh, oh Berdella. Berdella, uh, yeah, yeah. yes, the Kansas yeah. City Butcher. His uh, shop, Bob's Bazaar, was off of 39th Street. And in the Smiley Face Killers, a lot of the murders have been linked to uh, Interstate 90. And in Wisconsin, Illinois, uh, 
and Illinois, which are heavy states for Smiley Duffs. Highway 90 links up with Interstate 39. So mm-hmm. it's a reoccurring yeah. thread for some strange reason. Yeah. Uh, all things are, for magic to work, all things have to be connected to everything else um, through correspondences and stuff like that, which makes me believe we may be living in a simulation. So, you know, everything it's also is interconnected. Like, yeah, there's also this sort of like tricksterism where it's like, yeah, there might be, if if an ultra-terrestrial can organize assemblages, you know, uh, not like directly through the actions of many people, then, I mean, it could be some sort of tulpa, egregore, thought form, demon, you know, uh, organizing these these sorts of events. Yeah, well, look at Bob and Twin Peaks. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. Hopefully, hopefully, nobody's gonna get murdered. You know what I mean? <laughs> like that. Yeah, and that's something. I honestly, I, I, yeah, I, I, st- I started working on banishing again because that that does very much make me nervous. You know, the the only other person in the room when we were watching the uh, corpse scene with Teresa Banks was uh, my high priestess. So. You know, I often worry that that. Uh, well, yeah, I mean, especially since I think Lynch really does deal a lot with ritual murder in his uh, works. Like I said, I think the Lost Highway is very much about the Dahlia uh, murder yeah. in many senses, and but I mean, it's also I think a big component of Twin Peaks and some of these other works as well. I mean, obviously, certainly Mulholland Drive. Um, yeah, it's it's one of the darker yeah, aspects. That's definitely. I mean, that's definitely a big yeah, a big part of it is like, and it looks like that there's some sort of chaotic scene going on at the murder uh, at the murder scene, but it's actually a very uh, intricate thing going on. You know. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, well, talking of hyperstition, um, I've been kind of uh, morbidly fascinated with the Ohio murders. And, you know, like the film Scream, uh, Sorority House, Stabbing, it, it just seems to have leaked uh, somehow into the real world. Yeah, very much so. Um, well, when things leaking into the real world, when did you guys uh, start receiving angelic communications? Okay, uh, the first time we ever received a communication from a being claiming to be an angel must be April the 8th, uh, 2022. Um, Leah agent seven, seven, seven was doing a session during the hour of Venus. Um, and she received a message that said, uh, I, I can read it to you. It said, thump, thump. What I need is, and then, uh, she, she wrote in unintelligible. So she doesn't know what they need. And then it said, they don't tell the truth. It's like a virus. You know what it's like when you're gone for good? This world will never be God's country. We'll talk more about that and more Monday, more from Gabriel. And um, we did some research and we found out that Gabriel was associated with Monday. I didn't know that. I haven't done really any angel magic in my work at all. Um, aside from like some dabblings in, in the Enochian. Um, but we definitely weren't looking for that. And um, she especially is not 
interested in Christianity or any of that kind of stuff. So it was a surprise. And at first we didn't even notice it, but then we went back on analysis and we were like, well, this might be an invitation to talk to Gabriel. So we did, we got some things together and um, we went ahead and, and tried to channel Gabriel and um i guess the first the first conversation with with gabriel specifically was april the 11th um and it it was a she got a lot of a lot of stuff about herself you know so and and a lot of it was a lot of information that was particularly useful for a visit to her family that she was about to take but so we were still kind of like uh this is i think this is like a masking or something like that and so then we did another working using um the heptameron and the uh the conjurations and the sigils from the heptameron uh specifically for gabriel on monday and uh, i guess that was april the 25th and uh that was the working where I asked for a sign and um, I kind of laid out all these different correspondences that would convince me that it was the angel Gabriel. And um, what happened is that night, I guess we went to bed about, about one in the morning and then we woke up and there was this news that these uh, old Soviet towers had gone down in, in Moldova and people were really worried that the war was about to spill out the Ukra the Russo Ukrainian war was about to spill out into Moldova. Um, I took that as a sign because Gabriel is the patron saint of the Russian army, um, the patron saint of communications workers, of radio towers, radio workers, and uh, all that kind of stuff. So, um, and then a day later I get a text from a guy from Moldova that I'd never spoken with before. And he was asking me for a copy of the book of numbers. Uh, he didn't, he didn't have the money to buy it at the time because, and he was worried that war was about to break out where he was. So I went ahead and sent it to him, you know, and I sent him a, um, protective, uh, sigil, and you know, did a prayer that war would not break out Moldova into the state as not. Yeah, I tend not to work with angels at all. Uh, obviously, in my Golden Dawn work, you know, the LBRP, there's the the four archangels, but uh, I've never tried to communicate with them at all. All right, so. It just seems though like angel magic is everywhere now. You're seeing it incorporated into um, the CCRU system by some of the, not people who are involved with the original CCRU, but people using uh, the system in latter incarnations. And it's been pushed by Damien Eccles of all people, E of Westminster 3, Anthony. And you guys are apparently being contacted by angelic beings without being asked to. Um, why are the communications becoming so frequent and so widely acknowledged for now? I mean, again, this is directly related to theurgy, one of the oldest spiritual practices we're aware of. It was closely guarded in Egypt for many years. 
And it's generally been restricted to elite circles. <clears throat> it's hinted at in things as diverse as the, uh, the Solo Boscatero and even the Under the Silver Lake film that I talked about earlier. But now, I mean, it seems to be going mainstream, um, you know, along with this whole Watcher's Cult notion that Chris Knowles has been dealing with. Uh, what do you guys, uh, uh, what's your take on all of this? What does it mean? Uh, I, I think it's, okay, so from my experience and from what I've, the research I've done into the Enochian sessions of Dean Kelly and sort of the ALW gematria that I've gotten with these experiences, I really think that they being the angels are are attempting to unite everyone under common religion and establish uh, establish the british empire whatever that means that sounds antiquated now or the roman empire yeah according to philip k dick yeah right exactly and um yeah in the enochian sessions with d and kelly you know that's explained over and over and and uh gabriel himself makes a makes a an appearance at one point tells them that what they're doing is some sort of it's almost like a sifting job like they're kind of like this reality is kind of garbage but there's all there's like some sort of dusty jewel that they're trying to find in these ciphers that uh, uh that unlocks a key not for us but for them um it's very interesting it, it, yeah it is a sort of a harvesting going on and um yeah there was this particular line from the uh leah's original um uh, annunciation of gabriel where um she hears a preacher on the radio say he appeared several different ways and from several different perspectives i'm trying to change these anti-times um these anti-times equals 243 Um, we break down each line as it's received uh with with its number and um, 243 comes up in the ALW cipher group in a post I did about Queen Elizabeth and John D. Uh, 243 equals a curse upon because, against the people, an end to the sickness, the sickness of earth. Kingdom shall be theirs, or slavery until they seek after the one, scribe and prophet. See that hour, O blessed state of many hood bound queen babylon bound coiled splendor the earth i am heaven british empire and uh, also from the lpa transmissions 243 equals um, if anyone has ears to hear you're going to be spared in the next 10 years the initiative your generous gift in the 90s yeah, so make all that what you will, but that—that's the oracle that I've that I've received. That there's sort of uh, they see they see Earth as the uh, sick, terrible place, and uh, they want to completely control it, get it, and and uh, kind of cull everyone into a uh, a single religion, a single belief, and um, within the next ten years. There's, you know, anyone who's kind of joins up with that is going to be spared and uh, the rest of us are kind of doomed. Uh, I would count myself on the other side of the doom side because I'm not really, you know, I've made my decision on where I stand and all that. Yeah, I mean, it certainly makes for some 
interesting possibilities. I mean, another suspect, not for direct involvement in the river killings, but um, overseeing them, uh, you know, kind of as the uh, grand poobah behind it was uh, Lord Salisbury, uh, who was a member of the Story de Cecil family. And um, going all the way back, I think it was William Cecil, who was one of the major figures uh, in establishing what eventually became MI6 back during the Elizabethan era. He was on for Lord High Treasurer, a bunch of other positions. He was essentially the most powerful figure in uh, the cabinet, or the Privy Council, rather. And uh, he was also one of John Dee's patrons uh, to boot. So it's kind of fascinating how things yeah, are yeah, yeah, in full circle with some of these guys. Yeah, the British, as far as the spread of the British Empire, you know, I mean, like, uh, Queen Elizabeth thought that going to America was a real dumb idea until John D did these scrying sessions with Kelly and was instructed by the angels to uh, go through this Northwest passage, which actually kept landing them uh, somewhere like Newfoundland and they would get attacked by Eskimos or what? Or, I'm sorry. That's a, that's not the word to use, but by natives. Um, but they have, they discover black ore when they, on one of their journeys through the Northwest passage and that, got them real hot for coming to uh the the new new land for resources um but yeah it was definitely on the urging of kelly and because of these enochian sessions that the british came to america at all yeah it does make for some incredible history that is for sure and also i'll point out that the uh the pilot for twin peaks is called northwest passage yeah, well, I mean, it also reminds me of the Northwest Territory, which included a lot of um, modern-day Ohio Valley, the Wisconsin area, pretty much all the areas, Indiana, Michigan, with a lot of the Adena and um, Hopewell earthworks. So Yeah, that might have been what, what the uh, angels were actually talking about, and Dean and Kelly were just didn't, they didn't get the message because they couldn't visualize it, you know, they didn't have the information. Who knows? I mean, that's also the, the whole area where a lot of you, you know, you see the Matic uh, mythos um, centered on as well. You know, I mean, kind of around the Ohio, Mississippi rivers, the whole notion of the Welsh prince that um, discovered America in like what, the 12th century, and then it uh, started colonies somewhere around there. Uh, yeah. Yeah. And I don't know where these other people factor into this kind of stuff. You know, I mean, if you go back and you look at the history, like Damien Eccles and others, if you go back and you look at the history of what these angels have brought to the table in these scrying sessions, it doesn't, it's, it's never anything that leaves me with a feeling like I really want to work with these entities or, um, you know, the, they have my best interests in, in, in view or, you know, any of this stuff. So yeah. And it, it also, brings you back to the the whole thing of you know Damien Eccles was involved in this this massive um yeah the, this this scene of um per, the the oozes garmambosia perpetually you know it's like this this never-ending harvest of garmambosia this uh this this effluvia this energy that comes from the pain and suffering of all these these children you know so it's it's really it's really something to think about and why the angels would be so drawn to somebody like that or somebody like that would be so drawn to them you know is a question well as we head into the home stretch here 
Uh, do you see humanity as a whole presently being thrust into Black Lodge? I mean, if Phil K. Dick is to be believed, we've been there for about 2,000 years. Um, but yeah, I think so. But uh, the City of Pyramids is so close. Uh, may Babylon carry us over. You know, uh, we must always be grateful that the goddess has given us technologies by which we may navigate the abyss and may we all be so lucky as to catch a single glimpse of what's beyond. All right, any additional thoughts here as we wrap up? Hail Babylon. <laughs> Anything from you, Stephen? Well, uh, when you're talking about um, the Black Lodge, uh, when I first interviewed Bobby, I asked him about the abyss and if he thought he'd cross the abyss. And he said, no, I think we're in the abyss. And I think exactly the same about the white, uh, the Black Lodge, that we are we are in it, and uh, it's a process of evolution, and uh, we all have to pass through it. Oh, can I just give a shout-out to my YouTube channel? Sure, go for it. It's called The Saroth, The Mage Experiment. Uh, it's got lots of uh, Temple Babylon Korans on. It's got Jake Sratton Kent, all the movers and shakers from the 21st century magic scene. Fantastic. Sounds like a joy to check out. So you guys should do that. Well, on that note, as always, good night and good luck to you all. Sick and tired of fucking up, sick and tired of pushing luck Voodoo blue got juice in it, swallow what I'm about to spit Don't got 86 from the copper queen for singing this I took it to the goat chain, we were ready My people there, they're feeling me Down low skin, roll more characters than Stephen King Said I'm just working at the quarry, y'all I ain't in a hurry, y'all Come on, baby, pick me up Stuck down in this stick, hut is hot as hell. I tell you what, put it up and knock it down. Moving on that big around. Come on, mama, jump down, turn around, do it for me, stick it out. Say one, two, three, Geronimo. Jump, baby, we gotta go. Hands tied, blindfold, jump into that battle zone. I said it's time to get the fuck out, cause they done let the wolves out. They're coming with that heat. Mama shooting up the street, mama fight or flight adrenaline, you feel that little tingle in your feet, mama no retreat, mobilize your whole fleet, hit the street, tell me that you good for it, you want peace, go to war for it. Say one, two, three, Geronimo, jump baby, we gotta go. Screaming with me, scream Geronimo. Never getting used to it Got bales of weed and cannibals With Santa wet diffused in it Shoot it over the castle wall The Migra can't patrol it off From Berlin to the Great Wall The greatest walls are bound to fall So legalize it, Vato About again, it's Chapo Come on, legalize it Don't need to
to advertise it The weed cures the cancer Everybody even caught a realized If a farmer don't make cash money When we rock that stash, honey Best believe they sooner take it out your ass, Sunday. Come on, the man ain't getting wealthy With people getting healthy, right? Talking about high AZ Talking about that BMC We got no economy If we ain't got no Excuse me, please. Said I'm just eating my burrito, not the joy you're looking for. See you all on payday, see you at the Safeway. Bisbee lives on crazy checks, BP on that fast pay. I sing my hooly blues, y'all. I don't make the rules, y'all. Just paying my dues, y'all. But I'm just saying, sorry, hippies. Great white father, don't make payroll Forget about your maple It's just that one 